You're listening to the Autism Weekly Podcast. Each week, we share community voices and bring light to stories that increase awareness, acceptance, equity, access, and inclusion across the autism community. If you haven't already, subscribe to join the Autism Weekly family. I'm your host, Jeff Skibitsky, and I'm excited to welcome Molly Olapini, the founder and CEO of the Global Autism Project, to talk with us about the importance of listening to autistic voices. Recently, the organization hosted a roundtable. This roundtable welcomed clinicians and autism self-advocates to discuss the future of autism care. I'm excited to learn more about the roundtable and the work of the Global Autism Project. Molly, welcome to the podcast. Hi, thanks so much. It's great to be here. So it's it's been over a year uh, <laughs> since we last had you on the podcast, and yes. I'd love to know what has the Global Autism Project been focusing on? It's been a, a, a different year for you because you, your typical projects probably morphed a little bit. Absolutely. Yeah. Everything that the Global Autism Project is known for and has done came to a screeching halt with the start of the pandemic. We're best known for our Skill Corps program, which is our international travel opportunities that we provide to clinicians, self-advocates, um, and really anyone who has a personal or professional experience with autism. So obviously, as the world shut down and flights stopped flying, we everything that we did and everything that we knew and our entire revenue stream came to a screeching halt. So we've spent the last now two years innovating and shifting. Um, we realized that a lot of the work that we've done in the field has been around leadership training and personal development. And so we were able to bring those trainings into a virtual setting and be able to um, provide them to autism centers. We provided them to groups of people who had signed up to travel with us. And then we opened them up to the public and we called it Leadership Academy. We also were very fortunate at the start of the pandemic, we had planned to launch our podcast. And so our podcast and our community has grown really just exponentially over the last two years. We've been we've had some incredible voices on that podcast. We have had um, parents. We've had people from around the world. We've had autistic self advocates. We've had, and importantly, we've had autistic self advocates who don't necessarily agree with each other. Sometimes when we listen to the voices of autistic self-advocates, we listen to one way or the other. What we do with the podcast is we bring in that nuance um, and, those, and those differences in people's opinions. And so that's what we've been up to. Um, as you said, most recently, we hosted roundtable discussions Global Autism Project is 19 years old this year. It will be 20 years old next year. And so, as you probably know, it is not uncommon for a business to sort of take a reflective look and say, where have we been? Where are we going? I, yeah, that's amazing that, that it's been around that long. And it's ironic to me that, and, and, and maybe this is just uh, the perspective I have now, but you went and you took autism services on a global scale. You brought it into other countries. And that whole time, we probably could have benefited from what you're doing now and actually right. really taking what we learned from other experiences, more diverse experiences, yeah. and brought it home to better Absolutely. take care of everybody here. And 
I, I just found that full circle is so ironic. Yeah, definitely. And you know, one of the things that we've always talked about is doing with and not for. So we have always, as an organization, done with and not for our local partners around the world. We have seen in a lot of ways our local partners as sort of what one would think of as, as the beneficiaries, right, of the work that we're doing. And what we came to realize, it was probably around 2018, 2019, we had a number of autistic employees and we realized, oh, wait a minute, we're doing with and not for the global community, we're doing with and not for professionals around the world. And there is an opportunity here to do with and not for the autistic community. And so, you know, we were up until these years, I'd say about 2017, really, up until then, really just kind of saying, hey, this is what we know, this is what we know works, we have evidence, we have data, um, and we weren't hearing a whole lot, um, and I would say probably because we weren't listening, even as a field, a whole lot to the global autistic community. That has shifted drastically for us, and we're starting to see it shift for, for the rest of the community. I'm being invited more and more to, um, you know, I was a former speaker at the United Nations World Autism Awareness Day, and they're reaching out to me now saying, can you connect me with autistic voices? In the past, when we've offered to do that, they've said, well, we're looking to hear a parent's perspective or well, you know, um, and now they want that perspective and they want that voice. And I think if there's anything that the next 20 years of the Global Autism Project will hopefully do with the world is speak to the importance of doing with and not for, for all of us. I, and I, that's extremely powerful. I mean, the idea of empowerment in general is a self-determined issue. And if yeah. you're not listening to those that you're helping to yeah. empower, feel like they are valued in every aspect of their community, it's it's kind of pejorative at times that yeah. you have to bring people into that process. So how did you organize the roundtable? Obviously, there was a need. Obviously, there's a lot of voices. So yeah. how did you solicit these volunteers to, to share their stories and experiences to really get the juices going? Yeah. So uh, as I mentioned, we have our community um, that we've built. We've, we're coming up on nearly episode 100 of the Global Autism Project, Autism Knows No Borders podcast. And so that is 100 plus guests um, who really just run the gamut of from, again, autistic self-advocates to parents, to professionals, to entrepreneurs, to people providing tech solutions. They've all been on this podcast. And so we started there. We reached out that way. We also connected, I personally connected with hundreds of people on LinkedIn and sent them personal invites. So people who I had not ever talked with, um, people who frankly, I may not have ever showed up in the same room with, I invited everybody to this roundtable conversation. Um, I really, if you have personal or professional experience with autism, please join us. And it was so interesting because a few people wrote back and they were like, I need to know more about the qualifications. I'm not sure I'm qualified. And I was like, tell me about you. And they're like, well, I'm just a sister of a kid, you know, a person with autism. I was like, you're qualified, you know, everybody. So we ended up hosting these roundtables over about six different times. Um, and so we had people joining us. Most everybody came to most people came to just one of them. Um, but we ended up getting a pretty, pretty good number of people on these calls. And more importantly, a pretty great cross section. So we did do one call with just our Skill Core alums, um, meaning people who traveled with us in the past. That's 
a network of about 600 people. And they were, of course, invited to all other calls, but we wanted to hear specifically from them. We've not been in the field for two years. What's really stuck with them? Um, and then we had these other calls that were just, I was telling you a little bit before this, I mean, it, a lot of the calls, there just wasn't a dry eye. And it was just people sharing their experiences and sharing their humanity with each other. Yeah. And when you think about the history of even autism and being so misunderstood for so long, and then the focus on the treatment end being very heavily towards children mm -hmm. is that oftentimes we forgot about the rest of one's life and the adult issues and dating and jobs and yes. being able to navigate how to be able to manage budgets, things like yeah. that. So when you were going through this, you mentioned that, you know, there wasn't a dry eye at times. What yeah. were some of these more emotional issues that maybe we should be more attuned to as a community? You know, one of the things that came up a few times and there were a few kind of very poignant moments is when, you know, we're having this conversation and we're like, oh, what do you need? You know, and they and someone just shared, you know, an autistic self-advocate. He said, you know, we just want to be seen as humans. It's kind of paused and we all just sort of looked at each other. It's all on Zoom, right? We all just sort of looked at each other like, right. Yeah. It's like we're trying to figure out how to iterate, how to create this perfect thing. And it's, you know, I often say in, in work all the time, like it doesn't have to be hard. And I think that's it too. You know, it's like, it doesn't have to be hard. It doesn't have to be hard to respond to people. It doesn't have to be hard to create what's needed in the world. And what I learned in these calls is that the more we can provide the kind of back office support, if you will, or the back office quote and air quotes here, sort of that back office training, the more people can take the lead on what's needed, what they see is needed in their own lives and they can create and build that. I'm never going to be able to build a program that teaches an autistic person how to date and be able to consider, be able to take into consideration the lived experience of dating as an autistic person. That's not going to be that difficult for someone who's been through it. And what we find is missing is sort of that back, again, I call it back office support, back office training, the little, those little pieces. Um, you know, some, some people spoke to, they have these amazing, incredible ideas, and they have some executive functioning challenges that would make it hard to execute those ideas. Mm -hmm. And that's, that, that's the hard part. I mean, it's, so with all of us, myself included, is that we're sure. always looking at, you know, what skills do I want to work on to be able to make myself better? And, and I'm a part of that decision. I'm looking yeah. and saying, you know what, Jeff, you really need to do some more active listening. I mean, whatever yeah. it may be. And yeah. at the same time, it's it's the similar challenges for somebody who might be neurodiverse, but they're trying to be able to interact within a world that maybe doesn't quite understand yeah. how they're interacting with it or how what their perspective is because it's a different perspective than what people are used to and i think that is the hard part we need to empower with the skills but the right ones and then we need to give a chance for independence yeah, yeah. so what were what were some of the the light bulb moments i mean you're you're running into a lot of dialogue and 
for me, it's whenever I have these conversations, it's eventually it's like, oh, wow, you know, I could have I could have really done something different personally in a situation like this. Mm -hmm. But what were some of those big kind of moments for you where it's like, oh, I missed that or, you know, yeah. the community missed that? Yeah, I think, you know, one of the one of the biggest things that I saw um, is that the model of the Global Autism Project until now, and I say until now, because we're currently reshaping it based on these conversations. These conversations weren't just to say, oh, we had a conversation and we're going to keep doing what we're doing. No, it was, oh, we've had a conversation and here's how we're shifting what we're up to here. So um, one of the things that I noticed is the model of the Global Autism Project can be really limiting to who can work with us, right? You need to be running a school. You need to have a separate bank account for that school you need, or, or school or center. Um, you need to have a certain number of kids. You need to have the vision to impact a certain number of people. And what I really got is that there's some incredible ideas out there that would not fit that model. Um, there's incredible ideas that a mom from Haiti shared an incredible story and she spoke about how, and this is, this is hard to hear, um, but I, I will share it because you should probably hear it. Um, she had been riding the train in New York city and she had met um, another, she's Haitian and she'd met another Haitian woman. And she said the, um, she, she met this woman and this woman told her that she had a child with autism. And the woman on the call who we were talking to said, as soon as she told me that I avoided her, I avoided her at all costs because I didn't want her to find out that I also had a child with autism. So she was getting on the train at different hours and she didn't speak to her. And one day she was getting on the train and she saw this woman's picture on the front of the newspaper. And she saw this woman's picture and she saw this woman's daughter on the front of the newspaper. And this woman had taken her life. And she got in that moment that had she accepted her child and been, been a stand for accepting autism, that that life would be completely different. And I just realized that, you know, it's so, we know this is happening. We know this is happening all over the world. I lived in New York when this happened, you know, it's like, and what we're doing at, we're focusing, we're, we're sort of like very focused right now on improving services and quality control and figuring out billables and all that. And there's this whole other world of people who even here in the US don't have this the basic awareness of autism. Now this was a number of years ago but there's frankly nothing to stop it from happening in New York City today. Yeah, so it's super sad that I mean just the fact that there there has been increased awareness but yes. it has not gotten to the point where people it it still feels like there's a stigma that is associated at times where that stigma doesn't need to exist. And roundtables like you are putting together is a way to start talking through some of those issues. Is that one of the bigger concerns is that, you know, is there enough of a platform where 
it isn't a I'm advocating for myself because I have to battle this versus a let's talk as a group so everybody gets to an equal yes. understanding of what's going on. Yeah, and we shared that in the beginning of the in the calls, which made them work a bit better than they might have, I think. We said, listen, you know, you may hear things you don't agree with, and we ask that you sit with it. We ask that you listen. Um, and I think that really made a difference. It was like, you know, this is not the forum to to duke it out. We're really just wanting to hear from people, and everybody was really great about that. Um, but I think it just it we're in this world where we're kind of arguing like what's best practices and what's not best practices and ABA or not AB. And I'm like, there's a whole other world of folks who ABA or not ABA or whatever, at the very least, can we let this mom know she's not alone? And that was over and over again. We heard that over and over again. People felt alone. They felt isolated. And certainly the pandemic doesn't help. No. That but, was the biggest thing that people wanted. So I think back, I mean, even pre-pandemic, is that I look at a lot of the work, and maybe this was a tangential work that you did during that time, but it was about really understanding racial cultural bias. Mm -hmm. I don't I don't see this very far different. And I think that the work that we've done over the last three years as a society. Mm -hmm. has made these conversations incrementally easier. It's still not easy and it still isn't comfortable for a lot of people, but getting there to be active listeners is, is that ability to active listen as right now is that, like you said, it's been so treatment focused and, and treatment's important. It's an important part sure. to develop skills. And that's, that's whether you're neurodiverse or you're neurotypical or, or whoever you are, is that knowing I need to work on things is part of being human. Mm -hmm. But if that is the only focus and we miss the humanity to it, that's the hard part. So yeah. what, what other skill sets? I mean, what is it that, that we're obviously building community, building dialogue, but are there other things that are going on that were really highlighted as, you know, these are things that just we did not think about. And that could be being able to be more independent in one's finances. Nobody even thought about it. We all took care of things right. for people yep. instead of empowering. Yep. That absolutely is the case. It's interesting you say finances because that did come up a few times. I was actually sort of surprised. I felt like, I, I don't know. I don't know what I felt like. You know, I've, I've had autistic employees here and they get paid and they cash their check. And now that I think about it, there's not a whole lot of autonomy with them. You know, it's like now that I think about it, Anytime anything went awry with a payment or something was unexpected or whatever, there was somebody else that I talked to, not that person. It might be a grandma, it might be a mom, it might be a sibling, it might be a job coach, you know, somebody pr providing support to them in that way. So that came up, um, you know, people really... It, it was so interesting. It's interesting that you bring up the racial justice work because we've done all kinds of surveys with that group of people as well. And what we find people want is connection. And what we found people want, if you could take one word and say, what'd you learn on this roundtable? What's missing in the field? I can give you all the pragmatic things for sure. And connection. Underneath it all was connection. They have an idea. They want to get it out in the world. They want to connect with others. 
this mom from Haiti wants to connect with and support parents. Yeah. And what and, a difference that would make. And it did an, an immense difference, especially for those families that feel so isolated and feel like they don't have the ability to go out there or feel feel like they don't have the acceptance to be able to talk through what is important to them. But I, it, it does hit me. It, it hits me in a way where even talking about the finances that you were talking about, it's the unconscious bias of knowing that, oh, well, maybe I do need to talk to somebody else here. Instead of saying, I'm going to yeah. talk through this. It might take me 15 minutes longer to understand mm -hmm. the perspective or how somebody else saw this issue and why that decision was made. Yeah. But I should give that time instead of defaulting to the next person or... Right. And we did with so many things, you know, so I think that's where what I love about these conversations, what I love about life in general is it's just we're kind of always illuminating these blind spots that we have because there were so many things where a parent would want to get involved or a sibling or a job coach would want to get involved. And we'd say this is this is their decision. They're an autonomous adult. And then as soon and then there were some things that was like, oh, yeah, okay, we should have someone else involved here, you know? And so it's really, really interesting just to look at that for ourselves. Um, and I think one of the things that also came up over and over again is people want to, like, it's it's just no different. It's no different, right? People want to be fully self-expressed. People want to be able to be who they are. And I think the magic happens when you have the mom who was ashamed and afraid to share her own child with the autistic adult, sharing the experience of what it was like to hear their parents talk about them like they weren't in the room. And I think that's one of the biggest things too, is it just feels to me like there is this massive opportunity right now for clinicians to learn, you know, we're, I get it. There's a big ABA, not ABA conversation. I, I really get it. I've heard both sides of it and, um, outside of that conversation, there's also the humanity and respecting the dignity of someone and something as simple as I'm thankful. I learned this my first day on the job back years ago. Um, but I, that you just never talk about someone like they're not in the room. Yeah. And I, I see it happen all the time and well-meaning, lovely, loving clinicians like, Oh, the kid's three and he did this and he did that. It's like, no, he's, he's right there. You know, um, and so and those were those little things that we've been able to teach on skill core trips as well. We had an incredible autistic self-advocate who worked for the Global Autism Project. Um, he has sadly since passed away um, and he shared um, he really taught our skill core members about ableism from his perspective. Mm -hmm. So much more powerful about learning from learning from it from me, learning about it from me. Yeah, and I would almost imagine that a lot of the a lot of the debates, it would would actually start to subside because they'd be more individual choice on treatment, yeah, individual absolutely. guidance on what it is I want to work on, if yeah. that piece was there, if that humanity was there, if I'm talking to somebody about behavioral intervention and I'm including them in decision making and I'm making it practical and valuable to their life. Well, yeah. now it's not a question of, are you forcing me down a specific treatment? Or are you trying to change yeah. me? It's no, right. we are working together right. on whatever yeah. skill you wanted to build yeah. to empower whatever it is that you're hoping to be able to contribute later on without having any 
barriers. And right. I'm not changing you as a person ever. It's I'm giving you more tools. And right. I think that's part of the the challenge with that. And if you're not listening and if you're not trying to figure out, if you're not modifying the way that you're looking at treatment and stuff like that, is that, yeah, you're going to end up butting heads. Of course. Yeah. And it, you know, what I've noticed in this debate too, again, not dissimilar from other work I've done is that it is, it is this need to be right. And that's what gets us into trouble as clinicians that we need to be right, that we need to know what's best, that we're trained in this. And so surely we know. And that's simply not the case. There's no way, there's no amount of training. There's no amount of reading the big white book. There's no amount of anything that's going to teach you what you learn when you truly, truly listen to and are open to what you're hearing. So I'll have people say, oh, yeah, I went to this talk and they talked about it and we listened. And I mean, they they didn't really know what they were talking about. It's like you didn't listen. You didn't listen. And what was really missing for those people? Mm-hmm. And if we brought it in, it would make a difference. Yeah, I don't we think I've seen conversations. Yeah, I, I, there's there's not been an experience I've had in my entire life where I've watched somebody and if their need to be right is what's guiding their decision making. Yeah. Typically, yeah. that's not the person to follow. I mean, you need to be able to to modify. You learn from being wrong, not from yeah. being right all the yeah. time. Absolutely. So, there's, yeah, absolutely. There's a degree of humility. I think if we could just turn up the humility and, the, and turn down the fear of getting it wrong, I think we there's a lot to learn. No, there's absolutely. a lot to learn. So how do you advise parents to, um, and how do you advise community members to to listen more effectively and promote some more of this mm-hmm. self-advocacy amongst the neurodiverse population from what you've learned at the round table? What yeah. would your guidance be at this point? Well, there's this framework that we use in the field and we use it, and now it's a very used framework in the world, and I call it the essential framework. And that is we look at what's essential, what's preferable, and what's preferable to me in an intervention, in a conversation, whatever it is, right? And so for me, if I'm engaging in a conversation with somebody, we don't see eye to eye on ABA. It may be preferable to me to convince them that this is how things should go. And what's essential is that we can communicate with each other. What's essential is that one conversation can lead to another conversation and not towards getting them to preferable to me, but getting me to understand and hear the nuance. And so if I can let go of my need to determine how this conversation should go, there's so much more available to me to learn. And so that's one thing that we've really, really been talking with our community members about, our skill core members about, and some of the other work I've done. It's like essential, preferable, and preferable to me. And really honestly looking at where are you focusing on preferable to me? Because I promise you, any time that you are in preferable to me, you have entirely lost sight of what's essential. And we don't consider what's essential is connection, but yet we have these conversations and what's missing is connection. 
Yeah. And I think that's just because we're having a we're having a butting heads conversation. Yeah. And again, what's essential? We can all agree that we want autistic children to live their lives as autistic adults. Now, exactly what that looks like may differ. Mm-hmm. Exactly what our le- the lens through which we see that journey is different. That can be acknowledged. Mm-hmm. And one thing we can all agree on is every child born with autism should make it to adulthood. Yep. Absolutely. And and I mean, just listening to this dialogue and listening to everything that, that you have put out there as far as the forums and the ability to be able to create connections mm-hmm. is it's pretty obvious that some of the deficits that we're seeing in all walks of life are just that inability to communicate, which is not prioritizing the listening part to begin with. Yeah. It's, it's yeah. if you stop and listen and hear Typically, people aren't far off on what's what's so fascinating, isn't it? It's like, and what happens is we think we think we're so much farther apart until we can drop our need to be right and we can start to focus on what's essential. When I focus on what's essential in a conversation, when my only goal of a conversation is to be welcome to an additional conversation. So much opens up for me. Absolutely. You learn so much. And that, I think that's sort of the most heartbreaking part of this to me. It's like, we're all over here on our opposite sides and everyone's lost sight of what's essential, it seems. And yet we're all here available to each other. And so how do we create, and that's what we're really looking at as an organization. We have our podcast, we have our community, and how do we grow that so that we have more different perspectives in there? Mm -hmm. No, and and I think one of the things that I've most valued um, recently is the the opportunity to have these conversations. There's Mm -hmm. so much I don't know. And by having the dialogue and the conversation, it, it opens up my thoughts and it changes the way that I might approach different situations. And I suggest that more people get into this. So are there are there going to be more round? T- are, are there more opportunities? Are you going to be hosting more of these to be able to, to expose people to the dialogue? Well, so we actually have a community chat that happens. We have an online community um, in a in an online platform, and we have these conversations several times a month. Um, and anybody is welcome to these conversations. People who listen to the podcast, some of them join the community. I think the podcast is a really great place to start because you get to hear it. And our host, Rachel, is just masterful at at just really working with people and learning from them and getting the thought behind the thought and getting beyond the the talking points of a podcast. You know, it's funny because sometimes when I'm asked to be on a podcast, People send me something and they say, okay, here are the things I've heard you say in the past. This is what I'd like you to say on my podcast. And I'm like, don't even send me that. I'm just going to have a conversation with you. I'm just (laughs) going to share this. If we record this today, it's going to be different than tomorrow. It's going to be different from the next day. Life is happening all around us. We're learning in every moment. And I think that's what Rachel is just masterful at is getting beneath those, those surface level conversations that everyone's used to having. Um, 
So yeah, so definitely check out the podcast, Autism Knows No Borders is the name of it. And check out the Autism Knows No Borders online community. We have incredible self-advocates who actually moderate that conversation. And so it's really, it's, it's a very cool experience. We have uh, our partners from around the world in there. It's a great community. I, I'm excited to do just that. And yeah. I mean, one of the things that I've always valued is that, I mean, I, I was lucky enough to be able to do some work overseas and to, and to be able to have that experience. I think it I think it does broaden perspective. And that's just an experience I had. Yeah. But I know that the Global Autism Project is is starting to get back into full gear yeah. again. So yeah. how how can people get that experience too? Because I, I think that a lot of the things you're teaching now are things that in the Global Autism Project were inherently part yeah. of the curriculum. It was there, yes. part of your skill core. So I just, I want people to hear that opportunity too. Yeah. Well, skill core is back. We have teams in Kenya right now and Saudi Arabia, and they're having an incredible time. I just spoke with the Kenya team this morning. Um, I spoke with our partners in Kenya. It's just, it's just, it's so heartening to see people back. And you're exactly right. Everything that we're talking about, everything that has worked on a skill core trip is because of these inherent, the, the frameworks that we've given people, the ways that our leaders guide the conversation. Um, and that program is called Skill Core. It's on our website. Again, the only requirement to be a part of that is that you have personal or professional experience with autism. And so what that creates is you travel on a very multidisciplinary team. Sometimes you have a parent on that team. Sometimes you have a sibling on that team. Very often we have siblings who are also clinicians, um, autistic self-advocates. We're having more applications now from autistic self-advocates by design, some of the research we've done. We've had a number of autistic self-advocates travel with us in the past, and it's just been, it's been an incredible experience. You know, just what people have shared is just spending two weeks living with an autistic adult. They've learned so much and they've seen the, they've seen for themselves the limitations of the teaching that they might be doing. And when you can see it for yourself, we always say people believe things when it comes out of their own mouth. So when they can see it for themselves in country, they're going to bring it back. That's just what happens. They bring it back and they integrate it in a, in a way in which they have a deep knowing of what the impact is of the work that they're doing. You know, and I, I appreciate all that, that that entails and the compassionate care that comes out of that. Um, yeah. But I... I do. I, I appreciate you taking your time today to come and chat with us. It's always it's always enlightening. And I, I just love hearing about everything that's on the radar and the things that we need to be looking forward to. Yeah, so, some fun stuff. Hopefully up. we can have you back again sometime soon. Of course. My pleasure. I'll see you soon. Thank you for listening to Autism Weekly. We hope you tune back in next week to learn more about autism in the real world. Autism Weekly is now found on all the major listening apps, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, Amazon Music, and more. Subscribe to be notified when we post a new podcast. Autism Weekly is produced by ABS Kids. ABS Kids is proud to provide diagnostic assessments and ABA therapy to children with developmental delays like autism spectrum disorder. You can learn more about ABS Kids and the Autism Weekly podcast by visiting ABS Kids. Dot com. Thanks for tuning in. See you again next week.